Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome everyone to the Fanalytics Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Lewis, and today I am joined by a special guest. Nihar Sadani. I'm the VP of Career Services uh, in the Goizoda Marketing Association. Okay, and so basically we're doing something a little bit different. We're doing actually a live podcast. Hello, guys. Hello. <laughs> this time of year, post-Super Bowl, the Super Bowl was just a couple of days ago, and one of the things that marketers are always interested post-Super Bowl is taking a look at the advertising game. So the, the winners and losing... The winners and losers of the Super Bowl advertising competition, sort of an informal thing, but something that's developed over, over years. Yeah, we had it we had last year. It's just a fun way of looking at different ads, what, what stood out to you, what doesn't stand out to you, why certain brands do certain things. So it's just a way of analyzing the ads and seeing what brands are trying to do. Well, and, and just to fully frame this, uh, you know, I, I think when we think about the Super Bowl, it is a you know, I'll refer to it as like a marketing holiday, right? It's, um, it's a festival, right? People gather, they have parties, uh, they, they w- sort of joint viewing of pageantry. And the advertising is a big part of that. Advertising is a tricky thing to analyze. And, you know, so a lot of what I do and what I talk about in the podcast is analyzing stuff that I can put numbers to. Right? So if I'm, a, if I'm analyzing a player, if I'm analyzing attendance, I can, I can bottom line that. I can put a number to it. But when we're talking about advertising, suddenly we're in the, the art of marketing, right? And so a lot of what we're going to do is going to be fairly subjective here. But, you know, for those of you listening, this is a group of uh, soon-to-be graduates of the, the top-ranked business school giving you guys their insight into what works and a little bit of why it works or does not work. Uh, so what we did was we had um, we did a survey, and there's three ads that you really, really liked, and then there's three ads that you did not like as much. So we'll be looking at each of those and then discussing it, and if you have any questions, text them. So do we want to start with the first one? Sure. What is the first one? So it's the Stella Artois, Artois ad. Um, it's called Change Up the Usual. Okay. So why don't we start by, um, so the, the Stella Artois ad. So why don't you give us a quick verbal description of what happened in that ad? Sure. So basically you see what a celebrity come in, Sarah Jessica Parker, and it's a very fancy restaurant. So you expect, I guess, fancier drinks, maybe an expensive wine or expensive cocktail. But instead she asked for a beer, which in that case, I guess Stella Artois may be on the lower class of beers versus where the restaurant is. Oh, see, um, see now, right off, this is this is kind of interesting. Let's let's investigate a couple of the things you said. So, number one, so there's definitely a celebrity involved, but you said it was Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay, so I think a lot of the audience might have said, "No, that's not Sarah Jessica Parker. That is who? That's Carrie Bradshaw, uh, yeah. right?" So she she's in character. It's it's a throwback to Sex and the City, mm-hmm. right? The second thing is uh, Stella Artois as a um, is an interesting brand in in some ways, and I'm not going to claim to be an an expert on European views on beer, but my understanding is that historically Stella Artois was viewed as a budget beer in in, in Europe, a Belgian mm-hmm. beer, and when InBev purchased. Uh, Anheuser-Busch a few years ago, what the, the effort was to try and make Stella Artois an upscale brand yeah. and with an emphasis on the, uh, the poor 
and I'm making a hand gesture here using the, I don't know, the, the letter opener to, to, to sluice the foam off, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, that's why I, I find it interesting. It's, it's almost like you're trying to make it a higher class beer by just having Sarah Jessica Parker were also another celebrity drinking the same one. Well, and who was the other celebrity? Uh, I don't know his <laughs> <Okay>. name. <laughs> Well, and so it was a, uh, it was again, it was a throwback to another, another piece of entertainment from a, probably about the same era as Sex and the City, right? So the Big Lebowski, right? And mm-hmm. so if I'm correct, it's the dude, okay, <laughs> right? And, and so it's an interesting kind because it's a celebrity play. It's also a nostalgia play. I would say so too. I just we actually got a comment from one of her audience members. The Dos Equis was most interesting man in the world cameo made the ad stand out to me. When every foreign spokesperson changes sides, it really makes the ad stand out as a spokesperson betrayal in a good or funny way. So I don't know how you feel about the Dos Equis person or mascot being there. I didn't even notice the Dos Equis. Oh. It was, in, it was for maybe five yeah. seconds. So you guys all ad. noticed that? That's kind of interesting. I mean, it's the third or fourth time I've seen the ad, and I didn't, um, I didn't pick up on it. And it, whenever we're looking at advertising, I think that's, an, that's sort of a nice accident to happen, right? Because if we're analyzing advertising... You know, we always have to take a step back and say, well, who, who's this for? Is it for the director or is it for the viewer, right? Mm-hmm. And so did I miss something? And, like, as a film viewer, oh, I missed it because I wasn't paying attention. But yeah. I'm, I'm a consumer watching an advertisement. And so if I miss it, I think that's usually going to fall on the director as a, you know, they needed, to, they needed to hit it a little harder. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was a, kind of a, a little mini attack a little way on the Dos Equis side. Well, but I don't know how you feel about other about brands using other brands' mascots. Like, do you think that's an effective strategy or well, it, maybe, it, not, maybe it's too hidden? I think it's, I mean, in some ways, you know, as something to, let's say, cut through the clutter and someone go, wait, hold, hold on, that, that's something. I think it can be a really a, a, an effective tool. And, you know, in this world of the Super Bowl advertising, where everything is big budgets, everything's very elaborate, cutting through the clutter is really something that you want to accomplish. So as an advertising strategy, I like it because it's something that's it's different. It's, it's getting to that next level. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, going after the competition, it reminds me of, uh, you know, who was the, uh, the cell phone company, the Hear Me Now guy, if you yeah. remember that, who was then picked up by a different cell phone company provider a few years later it's um it's it's, you know it's a form of negative advertising which is always interesting in that outside of the realm of politics is something that we don't see a lot of right and that's what i I think this is more just like they're trying to maybe make it more relatable to the consumer in case they don't know stella Mm -hmm. maybe they're trying to put the dos equis mascot in there just so there's a comparison maybe being made offhand i don't know if dos equis and if stella views dos equis as a direct competitor they may, they may not. I mean, they're both, inter, you know, they're both international, yeah. which is something. But Belgian versus Mexican, I don't know. I it's don't a know pretty big comparison yeah. to make. Yeah. Um, we have another question. Is a principal consumer target lost with multiple cameos? Well, that's, that, that's a good one, too. I mean, and so when we're thinking about advertising, and like I said, I think advertising, analysis of advertising is usually going to be highly subjective. You know, does this work? There can also be some core principles, sort of basic marketing of, you know, is this something that is going after a very obvious target? Does it speak to that target? Now, I would think that if you're talking about the dude as one cameo and Sarah and uh, Carrie Bradshaw as the other, I don't know how much crossover there is between Sex and the City fans and Big Lebowski <laughs> fans. I mean, it strikes me as sort of very different populations. 
like I think I think the question is basically asking that it doesn't it doesn't make sense that there are so many different types well, of celebrities me, in there. Well, let me ask the let me ask the audience something. And so, what was it? Um, and, and again, we're actually doing this with a mix of technology. So the audience, to keep the noise down, is texting questions and points. This was listed as one of the favorite ads. So what did you guys think about why this worked? So <laughs> I'm actually getting the negative side at this point where a cameo doesn't, that didn't make sense to me was uh, the Harrison Ford cameo in the Amazon ad. It was just random and wasn't a value add to the com- overall commercial, which I think is very similar to what's well, going well, on here. Well, let's, let's say this. I mean, you know, I think this, this Super Bowl had a lot of celebrity activity. Okay, and, and that you know that was a consistent theme throughout the night of we're going to try and break through the clutter by putting a celebrity in the ad to get people to pay attention. You know, when that happens, then you know it's almost a you can imagine where the problem comes in, right? So now every ad has a different celebrity. What actually resonates? What actually resonates, right? It's like, do you have to get the biggest celebrity? You know, I mean, throughout the night we. We saw Charlie Sheen in the Planners commercial. We saw Sarah Jessica Parker, right? It sort of just kept going on and on. What is the uh, Cardi B and Cardi Steve Carell yeah. in, in Pepsi? What is the celebrity that gets people to, you know, take notice? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know which ones are most relevant to, I guess, our generation. Mm-hmm. Because even, like, Steve Carell, we haven't seen him in a long time Well, in and, and, a lot and, of entertainment. And when you say relevant to our generation, I think that's an interesting statement to make when we're looking at advertising so when you say your generation what are you talking about me i shouldn't have said that (laughs) (laughs) i think i mean i guess people who are usually watching the super bowl i'm sure there's different segments but i'm talking within our business school class in that case which i guess could range between 24 and 35 well and and so the super bowl is an interesting audience right that it's incredibly broad right so there's probably a hundred and 110 or 120 million people watching the super bowl and so maybe more so than just about any other piece of programming, you're able to reach a mass audience. And so when you're doing a Super Bowl ad, you know, there's, there's going to be a goal to very often reach multiple segments. What happened in the Pepsi ad that you referenced with Steve Carell and Cardi B? That was, that was someone asking for a Coke, and then Steve Carell comes, out, no, comes up behind her and says that, no, you really want a Pepsi, and then Cardi B comes out, and now well, she's doing a whole Pepsi chant. <laughs> actually, actually, what he said was, not to, he said... No, it's fine. I probably is, don't remember that well. He said, is Pepsi okay? Ah. Right? And anyone that has, um, well, anyone that has ordered a Coke in a restaurant that doesn't serve Coke has been met with that specific phrase, right? Is Pepsi okay? And so this was, um, this was Pepsi sort of calling out this, you know, let's say small problem that Pepsi has in the world of that Coke is almost the default. Oh, okay. That Coke is almost the default and is Pepsi okay? Now, why I brought up that is, you know, this statement about, you know, is it going to resonate with our generation? Because what were they trying to do with their celebrities? They had Steve Carroll from The Office who, I don't know, let's guess that Steve Carroll is 50... 55 something and cardi b is how old i mean uh, maybe 30 okay but but sort of very yeah i'm gonna rely on you very popular in the current mm-hmm. music scene yeah, okay and so they're trying to use multiple celebrities to reach multiple audiences in the same ad right so. and we actually have the pepsi ad pulled yeah. up if you want to go through it we just watched the Pepsi. So how would you characterize the Pepsi ad? How would you describe it to those listening? 
Well, there's a lot of fandom going behind Pepsi in this case, but I think the fact that it's saying it's Pepsi okay, though it seems like it's that Coke is a, a more prominent brand or what people should be going towards, but now it's Pepsi's trying to come back and saying, yes, Pepsi is okay. And well, now it's like they switch alliances. There's always a backdrop between what's happening in this, these ads, right? It's like most companies, well, most companies, not all companies, are arriving at their decision to advertise on the Super Bowl based on some long history. Pepsi's advertisement in the Super Bowl was, was kind of interesting this year. We're, we're sitting in Atlanta and Pepsi really kind of, they were aggressive in the Atlanta community, yeah. right? Which is, which is interesting because Atlanta is the home, of, the home of Coca-Cola. And, you know, locally I heard people talking like, is Coke going to respond to being tweaked by Pepsi on their home turf? And, you know, I, I don't know if Coke's going to, you know, do anything. But, but, you know, so for Pepsi, it's, um, you know, the Super Bowl is one of their main marketing outlets. They've been a long-term sponsor. I mean, you go back to iconic Super Bowl ads like Cindy Crawford in the, I think that's probably Pepsi's most famous one, going back to the early 90s. Pepsi is the kind of classic number two brand. And so I think, you know, one of their goals probably is to use the Super Bowl to put themselves on equal footing with, you know, sort of the big guy Coke by saying, well, we're going to be really competitive in the biggest spotlight of marketing of the year, right? So yeah, and actually, we actually got a comment from one of our listeners that, that one of the reasons Pepsi was so effective is because they were attacking Coke. Like, you see the ads all around Atlanta, where it's mm-hmm. like Pepsi commercial, Pepsi commercial, and Pepsi ads all over. I mean, the, um, And it's like attacking Coke in its yeah. home market. This one was, I think, viewed as, um, it, this one was viewed as sort of with mixed. So I, I, I saw a lot of people talking about this ad as, you know, Pepsi calling out this you know, point of weakness of the Coke is the default and saying, well, Pepsi's okay, which is what the weight staff in general says, and Pepsi trying to turn that around, that it was, it's an effort to sort of, again, turn it around, but it also highlights that potential weakness. So I think the, re- the response to this one overall was relatively mixed. Yeah. We got another comment saying it's interesting for Pepsi to be kind of lean in to being just okay by associating with both Cardi B and Little John and their catchphrase of okay. So the okay part definitely stands out, yeah. but it's not saying they're superior. They're just yeah. saying, are we on the same level? Right. Well, and, and even the, the history of it, and so you mentioned the, the age of the, the MBAs. Is, I always think you guys are 28 or 29. That's sort of my default. Um, Wide range. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, Pepsi has always sort of used approximately the same approach on this stuff, right? Where So Cardi B might be sort of, incredibly popular at the moment but if you go back in time pepsi had madonna they had michael jackson they are i think they had britney spears and so they are always trying to sort of be that get the, at the next generation the the youth culture coming up and it's funny when you sort of roll out the uh you know the fact that madonna might be you know closing in on 55 or, or 60 yeah. but back in the day she was a pepsi spokesperson yeah um, we just have one question. So does Pepsi's over-reliance on celebrities end up overshadowing its product and confuse its brand position? I'm going to sort of answer that one indirectly, right? Because one of the things that has happened with Super Bowl advertising over year, over the years is they've gotten away from the idea of, hey, this is the best cola, you should drink this cola, or this is the best car, you should drive this car. And it's moved. so it's moved away from let's say, really emphasizing whatever trying to be accomplished by the brand in general 
to trying to make some sort of emotional connection. And so this is, you know, the vast majority of Super Bowl advertising seems like they are almost more like films produced by aspiring filmmakers, you know, film school students or, you know, with a lot of talent, rather than sort of steely-eyed marketers trying to boost sales in the next quarter. So I think this stuff is all, almost always saying, hey, Pepsi's great, it's glamorous, let's, let's attach positive feelings. Well, do, let's move on to the next ad. I think this was the one more popular one. It was the Game of Thrones and Bud Light ad. It's a beautiful day for a toast. So that was a little violent. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, I mean, how would you describe that in a quick soundbite for what happened in the ad? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was a little unusual when I saw it the first time because you're seeing Bud Light on one end and then you're seeing HBO's Game of Thrones, which is taken very seriously as a um, as a thriller. And then you're associating with like with cheap beer, for okay. instance. So it's, I mean, it's interesting how there's the, there's a jousting term between the two, and then you're and not going to go work as Anheuser Busch, are you? No, I'm also not a huge Bud Light <laughs> okay. fan, but it's just interesting how it ends with that's and so violently and with and with. We have a Game of Thrones ending, and then you see the theme song coming up. So it just seems, I don't know, it's very, it's two different entities detached okay. from me. So they're trying to be put but in the same But this was ad. on the positive list. So what was the, uh, why did this make the positive side of the equation? So the backstory of this one is interesting. The Game of Thrones originally approached Coca-Cola about partnering and making the Coke Polar Bear into White Walker, but Coke said no. So it's interesting how Bud Light took over mm-hmm. from Coke. I'll give you my two cents, and you know, the audience, please, you know, give comments as to why they saw this one as a positive. I think year in and year out, Anheuser Busch is probably one of the more effective, if not the most effective, advertiser in the in the Super Bowl. And and so when I've talked to other people about the the Super Bowl, I've highlighted some of the Anheuser Busch um, advertisements. I mean, actually, Stella Artois technically an Anheuser-Busch ad as well. I think they do a nice job in terms of thinking at this from a longer-term perspective than some of the other companies that sort of almost just seem to be jumping in for a, a quick hit in the Super Bowl and then moving back out. Bud Light has, you know, decades of trying to do really kind of amusing stuff and a very effective amusing stuff. And like I said, you know, so a lot of this kind of analysis is subjective, but going back to, you know, the Budweiser Frogs or, you know, the Bud Bowl where the bottles are playing the cans or, what you know, the What's Up guys, this is, you know, like a multi-decade advertising campaign to connect with, with, with their consumers via humor. I do suspect that there's a pretty good crossover between Game of Thrones fans and Bud Light drinkers in that I'm guessing that both are doing real well with a millennial, younger millennial type type audience. In addition, you know, this has this, you know, Budweiser for whatever, Bud Light for whatever reason, their current campaign involves this king-like character talking about, you know, the the beer that he's brewed in his kingdom. And so it's a nice connection to that as well. So it all kind of it all kind of fits together. Yeah, I guess they they put it in the same context, but I think it was just that it was two different brands. Well, and it, some people actually talked like what you were saying yeah. how it's related to millennials. And one of one comment was it plays on the huge energetic Game of Thrones fan base, so mm-hmm. an instant attention grabber. And whether you think it's good or not, um, it did grab everyone's attention because it was Game of Thrones. Okay, and so let's say, you know, in terms of cutting through the clutter, does suddenly, wait, wait, why is Bud Light connected to uh, Game of Thrones? That's something that's going to sort of pop, maybe more than 
a celebrity showing up. Yeah. Right? It's something, it's, it's, it's different, it's unique. Yeah, and actually one of the questions was, who do you think benefited more from this partnership? Was it Bud Light or Game of Thrones? That's, that's a good question. I, I don't know if I would, um, you know, that, that's like one of those things where I think I would want to, you know, rely on some type of data yeah, to get beyond, readings, just, maybe. beyond just sort of mere speculation. I, I think it works for both, right? It's like, because it's, it's sort of out of the blue, but they did do a nice job kind of attaching that Anheuser-Busch humor to the, you know, the Game of Thrones, as you said, violence, or the Game of Thrones action at the end of it. And again, you know, when I said that a lot of this is subjective, like I thought the ad worked and it was like the humor was on point and so was the, the action sequence at the end, you know, that, that stuff might be debatable for some. Yeah, I think yeah. it was just really jarring at the end of it yeah. because you think it's it's a Bud Light dilly dilly mascot. And okay. then out of nowhere, it's like at the end of it, it's like it's, it ends so violently for him. Well, that I just think about, like, what, how does Bud Light really benefit from this versus, I guess, Game uh, of Thrones? Are you a Game of Thrones fan? Not yet. I will okay. be. Okay. <laughs> well, I suspect, and I, I haven't watched a lot of it, but I suspect that you may not enjoy it if that level of violence was a problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, those would be other problems. Okay. <laughs> Actually, since you were talking about data analysis, uh, one of the questions was, how would you, what kind of, what types of data analysis could you do to assess the effectiveness of Super Bowl ads? Advertising analytics is something that has been a problem forever. Attributing improvements in marketing performance to advertising is notoriously difficult. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for statistical reasons, because, uh, also because of the data, data availability. I mean, because what you're really trying to do is you're trying to attribute some bottom line change in Game of Thrones viewership or Bud Light sales to an ad, okay? And so maybe you can do some things. Well, it's especially difficult for a company like Anheuser-Busch, right? Because they, they advertise continuously. So how do you isolate that single effect? And so maybe you can use some type of a methodology like an event study to say, well, what happened to Bud Light sales right after they ran that? But, but again, you have to realize that, well, they've been advertising on the Super Bowl for, for forever. So how do you actually figure out what the true baseline of sales is and what the incremental effect for other companies that you know might have more of a individual level customer model in terms of being able to observe the data, let's say there's some sort of subscription service. Hulu was one of the advertisers on that. Maybe Hulu can actually see, well, we got X customers to sign up right after we ran that ad or within the day after that ad and can then do a calculation and say, well, was that worth spending the $5 million or $5.2 million to actually acquire that group of customers? Yeah, I, I actually used to work in digital advertising, so we weren't in charge of the TV side, but we would look at what if a TV mm -hmm. ad just aired, what was the, I guess, the latency effect of it too? Right. Because um, you can't immediately be the next day people will buy something. It might be in the first 30 days, and that's what we used yeah. to do is figure that out first, was where's, which ad was, being, was actually more effective, and then was it something that happened from the fact that continuous advertising? Mm -hmm. um, and we just have to see how that actually paired with our paid search ads, for instance. Was it actually correlated? Now, and the other thing on, on stuff like this, right, it's like if, if so much of this ad is directed toward some sort of emotional response, then maybe you actually want to do things like actually strangely talk directly to consumers and see what kind of emotional changes or sort of what kind of impact psychological changes occurred. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's move to one of the ads that we didn't like. Um, maybe the one that <laughs> it almost seems like we struggled with a lot of ones we did like. I know. Yeah. So maybe you want to move to the chunky style milk from Mint Mobile. 
I think you can see that the audience was really crunching their faces this entire time. <laughs> well, okay, so the, the the Mint Mobile ad basically shows a family drinking milk, but the milk comes out in chunks. Okay, and so what's your what's your take on this one? And like you said, the the audience, it's like everyone almost has a physical reaction to that ad. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's, I think it goes back to my question of like whether it's an app being having a shock factor or a jarring factor, something that doesn't appeal to consumers, but it stands out. What we're wondering is like if that's, if this chunky style milk is taking away from the main message of Mint Mobile. So well, I, I don't know. I mean, in my case, I think it was, but I know well, it's just subjective. No, but I think that's a, I think that's a good point. Because when you said um, taking away from the main message of Mint Mobile, I, I don't know what the message is of Mint Mobile. I, I'll, the only thing I remember from that ad is the chunky milk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and is that what's supposed to stand out? <laughs> well, and, and, and so I, I would say this is for the consumer psychologists out there listening. I think the, let's say the construct, go a little academic here, is some notion of revulsion. Yeah. Okay, and, and so this company has long been running an adver- advertising campaigns that are designed to repulse the viewer, right? I, I think one of their other more prominent ads has been a carpeted shower, right and 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 it's the same thing of i think there's a spokesperson maybe saying this isn't right okay and so they're using revulsion to break through the clutter we'll use that as a consistent theme today i I don't know i mean i i i struggle to i mean it's an effective thing and like people remember the chunky milk but then the trick is to then connect it to mint mobile and then also somehow you know i think they've got a low price promise in there as well to to make the you know, connected to this brand and have people somehow walk away thinking about the low prices rather than, God, that is the company that keeps doing things that kind of make me a little sick to my stomach. Yeah, I think it's, uh, too, all the comments are pretty much along the lines of what you said, is that this the shock factor becomes a gross factor. Like, now I'm walking away thinking this is a disgusting brand. Right. And that's it, all I associate. Because you also think about the Got Milk ad, you want to drink milk. Right. In this case, it's just revolt, revolting, you know. Well, and, and this one reminds me of that old show Fear, Fa- Fear Factor. Right, where it's like, oh, oh yeah. now we're going to make the people drink curdled milk, right? You know. Yeah. Disgusting. And, and again, look, I mean, on the other side of this, we could say this: it's like, what is Mint Mobile? I mean, who who's aware of Mint Mobile? I mean, this is this is a brand that I'm, you know, I, that is not a household name. And so it's like, if you want to become a household name, how do you do it? You got to do something extreme. They've chosen something that's extreme, whether or not it's effective, you know. I think a lot of us have our doubts. Yeah, it's like, what does the consumer remember after the ad is basically what I call effectiveness. Is that, was your brand remembered or was something, was the art of the ad remembered well, in this it, case? And I mentioned that their carpet shower ad. It's like, I remember the carpet shower ad. I don't remember the name of the brand until I'm seeing it again. Yeah, right? true. Okay, well, let's do one more ad that we didn't like. You can do the avocados from Mexico ad. Okay, and so if we should describe that one to the audience. So, and tell me if I'm even getting this right. Right. So it's essentially people acting as if they're participants in a dog show, and then the winner gets a trophy full of guacamole. Yep, essentially. Am I missing anything <laughs> beyond that? I think that pretty much boils it down. Okay. Yeah, humans acting as canines trying to get avocados. Okay, and what's the uh, what's sort of the group's issues or questions about this uh, that ad? 
The ad was bad because it was 60 seconds and three of them were talking about the product. For a food product, I feel like it should make me want to crave it. This okay, let's, ad let's go sort of go pe- let's go piece by piece on this. And so, yeah. classic advertising going back to the 1960s and sort of the the old school Madison Avenue guys was. Um, you know, people talk about how advertising was supposed to be about ER words. So if you had a laundry detergent, it was going to make your clothes brighter. If it's going to make, you know, if it was a piece of food, it was going to be tastier. That that really disappeared for a while. And you know, the high art of Super Bowl ads, it doesn't. It rarely exists, right? It's trying to make some type of emotional connection. And so, yeah, there's not a lot in that ad that makes you want to, oh, got to get me some guacamole, right? Yeah, that was maybe three seconds of the ad. The rest was on on literally the human canine show. But even those three seconds weren't actually saying anything about why I care if my avocados are from Mexico versus Brazil or wherever else they grow these things. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think the only other thing that stood out was Christian Chenoweth, who was a celebrity in the ad. But beyond that, do we know what else was going on? No, and, and that's even great because um, so apparently there was a celebrity in the ad that then that went right over my head. So which is kind of an interesting thing when you're trying to hit this mass market. You've got to pick celebrities that are going to be recognized by celebrities by, by you know, whoever you're actually interested in targeting. Yeah. Actually, we got a comment that the what are the drivers of avocado purchase? Probably appetite appeal and emotional appeal. Being at a party with friends, etc. But it hit on none of these. So basically, whatever would draw you to become to become an avocado eater. No, I mean, and, and this is an interesting one. And I'd, I'd like to get speculation from the group. I don't know what they're actually trying to connect to avocados in that ad. Yeah. Maybe they're just trying to make something, again, like something wacky just to make the consumers yeah. remember it. But again, it's taking away from the main product. And so this, this is the trick, right? So can you, you know, you want to cut through the, you want to make, get some notoriety. And, you know, we also have to remember that this is the Super Bowl, right? So the conventional wisdom has always been that this is the one time where people were going to watch the ads and talk about them the next day. And so by making this something weird, maybe you, they're hoping to get more of that talk the next day. Now we're talking about that. But I, I don't know that we're, we're talking about that, but I don't even really know that we have a lot to say about it, except sort of looking at each other no. confused. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, we know that we didn't like it. And yeah. there's, I mean, it seems like the common trend is that when you can't really associate the ad with the actual product or the brand value mm-hmm. in any way, then, then why am I watching this, basically? Right. So. Well, and even the, the nature of that campaign is an interesting one, right? And th- this has been tried for a long time in like the agricultural sector of companies trying or organizations trying to brand commodities and so to try and put mexico and avocado avocado together it's it's an interesting idea with maybe the thought is that somehow the mexican avocado growers are going to be able to get some sort of price premium versus california avocados but i'm not it's hard for me to imagine how they're going to accomplish that with that with that kind of campaign yeah exactly so I think we like, we have like, a couple more questions, maybe. Um, sure. If anybody in the audience wants to text anything general about Super Bowl ads, otherwise, I'll at least start with my question. So how do you think how do you think Super Bowl ads, in terms of the types of companies or the types of art you were talking about, how they've changed in the past eleven years the Super Bowl has been around? Like any big trends you can point out? Sort of just general trends in advertising. Um, one of the more famous Super Bowl ads, probably the. The one that people talk about as starting this kind of Super Bowl advertising craze was in the early 70s where you had Joe Namath for Noxima Shave Cream. And, and the whole ad is incredibly simple. It's just 
Joan Namath lathering up in a very pretty woman, I think singing to him, and then he's shaving, right? And so it's, it's a classic advertising appeal of, oh, God, Noxima Shave Cream is great. And this guy, Joan Namath, who's you know, the most popular athlete in the world at the time, uses it. Straight celebrity endorsement. You move through to, let's say, the, um, and I don't remember the years exactly, mm-hmm. to, but I'll try and hit high points, where the Mean Joe Green and Coca-Cola, where he throws the jersey to the kid, you start to see that shift towards an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting one in that Mean Joe Green is quenching his thirst with the Coca-Cola, but he's also making this emotional connection to, to, the, to the kid uh, by, by sharing a jersey. Fast forward, though, and this is where we've now seen this like come all the way to an extreme where, and it's been out there for a long time. I mean, the Budweiser ads, and this may be sort of too old for a lot of listeners, where literally there's an ad where the frogs are just going, Bud, why, sir, right? It, it, it has nothing to do with the product. It's all this kind of emotional connection and trying to kind of just get people to, to pay attention. And, you know, we're, we're here in 2018 or 2019, and we're still seeing those kind of emotionally driven campaigns. There are people in the advertising world that have asked the question of, like, would we be better off if we went back to actually trying to sell products, right? So it's like, who do you want to have designing the advertisement? A brand manager who wants to sell a product to a specific segment, or do you want to let the film school graduate come up with an artistic vision yeah exactly so is it it's supposed to be more functional value or is it more artistic value mm-hmm. um another question we have is we saw a lot of partnerships this year do you think this is a brand's way of offsetting the rising costs of super bowl ads it, it could be i mean I, if we're thinking about like the game of thrones budweiser ad bud light ad i think that's almost more of a play to two entities to leverage each other's equity to leverage each other's fan bases in terms of, yeah, the, these things cost five, I think 5.2 or $5.3 million for 30 seconds. So there's also this thing of, well, we want to make a splash, but we don't want to pay for all of it. Yeah. Do you think ads will go back towards a more functional appeal or is emotion here to stay? You know, a- advertising doesn't exist separate from the, from the culture, right? I mean, the, you know, the, the Super Bowl is a big part of the culture. The ads are a part of the culture. And so it's it's kind of hard for me to imagine that it actually swings back to that emphasis on we're going to sell products by saying that this product is better than that product. That being said, I suspect that there's an opportunity out there that if you're the one brand that does come out and tries this very kind of direct sale based on the functionality of the product, I think that way, and you did it in a clever way, I think that'd be an incredibly effective Super Bowl ad. People, Because at this point... We've got these ads that look like, you know, uh, throwback comedies to the to the '90s or action movies, and so in some ways, being more basic and more traditional might be a way to stick out at this point. So there's probably something of a pendulum, but I don't have any sense that we're going to swing back to sort of more of a bare bones approach. Right. Exactly. It's kind of like with the the Microsoft ad with the adaptive controllers. It's more of a product ad, but. Right. That was probably one of the ones that stood out. Right, or, or the Google ad in terms of the translation, right? And so it's, it's an emotional connection by saying Google brings people together, but it's also emphasizing the functionality of the, the Google platform. And that's probably, the, that's probably the home run at this point. Right. Okay, and, and so like I said, we'll, we'll wrap it up here today, sort of a quick look at 
a different kind of analysis than I usually talk about on the podcast, where now we're looking at, let's say, the more the qualitative or the softer side of marketing, and we're coming at this more from a, you know, let's say, a psychologist's perspective or a, let's say, a regular person's perspective <laughs> rather than as a statistician. But I will say this, that it's like, look, if you're going to be an effective analyst, it's like you got to wear many hats. You know, you got to be good with the data. You got to be good by understanding the psychology and how people and how consumers work. So, why don't we wrap this up? And again, thank you guys all very much for coming in and helping us with uh, with this episode. Great, Thanks. thank you so much.